Being a mother is an attitude, not biology. An unknown writer once said, if you give me any three words, I'll write you a story about my mother. Story is in our DNA, and of course, so is she. We gathered stories from men and women in all walks of life. Stories about the ones we have, the ones we are, the ones we know. This includes stories about stepmothers, godmothers, grandmothers, birth moms, foster moms, the mom up the street. It includes stories about not being a mom and stories about mothering in other ways. No matter how you slice it, if it's not one thing, it's your mother. Hi everybody, I'm Lupe Padilla Mitchell. I'm a life coach of mothers and families and a mother of three adult daughters. I'm Katie Mitchell, actress, writer, storyteller, and mom of a teenage son. Our guest today is Sia Sunrise Person. In the early 1970s, her mother took her to the wilderness to live off the land. Sia is the author of two memoirs, North of Normal and Nearly Normal. Both books explore her relationship to her mother, her non-traditional childhood, and its reverberations through her life. While the rest of us kids were eating Cocoa Puffs and watching Sesame Street, she was starting the early morning fires to heat up her bear stew. It's an unbelievable story, and I am so happy that you're a part of this and that you shared some of it with us. And I can only say to anyone listening, read Sia's book, because it's quite a ride. <laughs> Thank you very much. What an interesting life you are having. <laughs> Yeah, it's been a little, a little nuts. <laughs> so um, yesterday we spoke about you maybe set it up. And read it and then talk about it after. Is that cool with you? Yeah. Give us a little bit of background so that when we jump into this part of the story, we're ready. So I had never been to school before because I'd been living in the wilderness, living in teepees, um, learning from the First Nations people. And, you know, generally, you know, my family was smoking a lot of pot. We were eating a lot of bear meat, surviving off the land. Um, but for me, this it was a difficult life. So I made a decision quite early on in my life that I wanted to have um, a different set of values and a different life than my my family had set up for me. Okay. And you did make some different choices. That's for sure. But not at the age of five, which is how old you were, I think, when this story takes place. How old were you? Uh, yeah, this story takes place when I was six, actually. Um, and my mother decided that it was time for me to go to school. And I was supposed to be in grade one, but she went down to the local school and they asked for her address and she kind of walked out of there all flustered. And then the next day she said, great news. I've got you registered at, for school, but you're, you're going to have to go to kindergarten because it's the only place I could find that was, you know, wasn't nosy and asking for addresses. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I was very, I, I was petrified. I mean, the thought of being around other kids, cause I, I'd never been around other kids more than, you know, a few days at a time. It was always just me and my mom. And so the whole thought of people finding out about my crazy wilderness existence was really terrifying. So that's kind of the lead up to this excerpt. And just to set the very beginning of this story, what was your understanding as you waited with your mom? Okay, so I knew I was going to school. I knew that I had to get there not by walking because we, we lived too far and my mother didn't drive. So she had arranged for um, one of the other parents to pick me up and take me to school each day. Great. Let's read it. I stood at the side of the road holding mom's hand. As usual, my pants were too short 
ending an inch above my scuffed snowmobile boots. The zipper of my coat was broken, so I hugged it around me with my arm. I wished it wasn't so cold outside so I could take it off. Over the hill, a long yellow car appeared and stopped beside us. The driver had rollers in her hair and held a skinny cigarette between her fingertips. She leaned across the pretty girl beside her and rolled down the window. Climb in, the woman said to me, flicking her ash down the side of the door. The back's all yours. I nodded through the lump in my throat and got in. Mom shut the door behind me and tapped on the window. I love you, she said through the glass, and I swallowed hard, staring straight ahead. The woman tilted the rearview mirror toward her face and twisted up a tube of lipstick, but I only had eyes for her daughter. Her hair was silky blonde with a butterfly barrette on each side. She was wearing a pink wool coat. When I leaned forward, I could see shiny black shoes with silver buckles on her feet. Tina, the woman said, tapping her daughter on the knee. Why don't you say hello to your new friend? What's your name, honey? Cecilia? Sia. Sia, yes. Say hello, Tina. Tina turned around in her seat and peered at me from under her bangs. I don't want to. She smells funny. Tina! It's true, she said sulkily and faced forward again. I blinked, trying to stop the tears, and lifted my coat sleeve to sniff it. Tina was right. My clothes smelled like pot smoke. As her mother pulled back onto the road, I turned in my seat to see Mom through the back window. She was standing by the side of the road with a go get em expression on her face, and I noticed that the hem of her coat was coming down on one side. She waved at me and blew me a kiss, and in that instant, I loved her and hated her more than I ever had in my life. Wow. Um, I absolutely love the last line. I think that that's why I yeah, that I there it just says yeah. everything like you needed her so I like that line too that. and it's something you know that I felt several times with her throughout my life but I particularly remember feeling it on that day cuz I knew she was you know she was trying to do the be- the right thing for me you know she was trying to send me to school she was trying to give me opportunities she was um you know trying to see beyond her her own needs and desires which ruled her life most of the time and our, as a result, both of our lives. Uh, Remind us one more time, how old your mom was? Well, she was 16 when she had me. So I guess here she would have been uh, 22. Seriously. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, she'd never had the support of a partner. My mother, sorry, my father left before I was born. It was, uh, yeah, it was a very, it was a challenge for her to raise me. And I understood that. And, um, you know, so I loved her for sticking with me and doing her best, but I also hated her for some of the stuff she put me through. (laughs) Yeah, of course. At what age do you think that you came to that understanding. Yeah. So do you mean, when did I first realize really how young she was and how that must've impacted her parenting? Yes. Yes. Um, not until much later. I mean, I, you know, she was always so proud, like to have a daughter, you know, that who is, and everyone thought we were sisters and she just thought that was just the best, you know? Wow. <laughs> and I would just roll my eyes and people would be like, Oh, my friends would be like, your mom's so cool. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> young and hip she smokes pot and you know and I'd be like oh my god you have no idea I did not appreciate at all how hard it must have been for her until I had my first child at age 35 which is like what two and a half years times as old as she was pretty much when she had me and just you know I I my first baby uh was you know cried a lot and 
just, you know, I remember her telling me how colicky I was. And I was just like, I cannot believe she did this. And she was so much younger than me. She had no partner. She had no money. She had no resources. I'm thinking right now, because Lupe has a daughter who's 21. And I was just starting to think, oh, my God, can you imagine if Elle had no, <laughs> a five-year-old or oh a six-year-old? Good luck to you, sister. <laughs> But you know, it doesn't matter because when you're the child, we don't care how old our parent is. No. We think they're God. You know, keep it together and and do your job. Yeah. Kind of blew my mind the very beginning of your book when you, you know, are first waking up and you're under the bearskin rug and your mom says, oh, go start the fire and warm that stone or whatever. And then I realized you're four going out (laughs) and starting a fire and getting Oh, Yeah. My thought was, didn't anybody care that she might be taken away by a wild animal? That's all I got. Yeah, not really. <laughs> the the big takeaway, I think, is the forgiveness. Because once you had your first child, you can look back and you can say, whoa, you know, you can have that understanding. Mm-hmm. I know I had it. And I think um, other mothers, other people who, whatever their way they were raised, they could probably look back and heal themselves by looking at where their parents were and that their parents were doing the yeah. best they could at those moments. That's really what it comes down to, you know, in some, in some ways it makes it worse because I am so adamant about putting my kids first that it's hard for me to fathom how my mother could have not put me first sometimes. I understand. Uh, but overall, I think that, you know, it definitely helps um, with the whole empathy part that we all need towards our parents. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Take care. That was a great show. Yeah. So what this brings up is two really great lessons, one in forgiveness, and the other one is in discovering the gifts in perhaps the shit you're given. No question. It begins with seeing the other person as a human, right? And you could say that about anything, but certainly this is a show about mother stories. So when I think about my own mom, it was a long time before I could look back and see her as a young woman doing the best she could and, you know, not doing it very well, <laughs> but yeah, but she was still trying to do her best. It even works on the flip side, especially when you have teenagers, you have to see them through certain eyes of forgiveness, especially when they cross you. And or screw up, or screw like up. We all yeah, when they screw up, not weekend. to keep throwing it in their face and having them continue to have to live yesterday and live yesterday and live yesterday. I think that ability to forgive young people mm-hmm. is really needed so that they can grow into who they're supposed to be. Forgiveness works both ways. I think that's beautiful. And you know that I just had a moment with a kid this weekend. So. <laughs> <I did. laughs> Katie's right in the middle of forgiving. <laughs> I am. I'm a, I think I'm on the other side. <laughs> so here's to looking back mm-hmm. and grabbing the gifts. And here's to forgiving and moving forward. Yeah. Join us next week. Okay, that's the show. And to find out more about our writers, go to our website, Instagram, or Twitter. It's not one thing, it's your mother. And that's the number one, not the word one. Want to do something to help us? Go wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review us. Five stars would be nice. You can say something complimentary. Because you know what? It really does help other people find our show. And also share us with a friend because word of mouth is the best compliment.